You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom slash socks. For Panther fans who want to keep pounding. For the war, 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 the the war, the this is this 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 is views from Rob Brown. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into another rousing rendition of the Views from Midstreet podcast, your home for Carolina Panther football talk. We are glad to have you. My name is Rob Brown, host of the Rob Brown Show, which airs nine to noon weekdays on 977, the fan upstate in Greenville, South Carolina, home. Uh, of the Carolina Panthers in our area and right in the heart of Panthers country. And of course, joining me as always, my co-host, my partner in crime, he is the great one, Lonzo Reitzel, or should I say, and we'll find out here in mere seconds, Lonzo's got the hair slicked back. He has covered himself in baby oil. He is shirtless, ready to cut promos because the return, ladies and gentlemen, of the evil version of Lonzo, the heel version, the bad guy, 1980s. I'm here to take out Hulk Hogan brother version of Lonzo. Lorenzo Wrightsell is in the building. Why? Because Lonzo is not particularly happy with the comments of one uh, head coach of the Carolina Panthers earlier in the week. The tank is on. They've made it all but obvious. And Lorenzo Wrightsell, ladies and gentlemen, is here to make sure you know that he is not a big fan. You know, ordinarily I would go on this big three or four or five minute monologue to start this off and then kick it to Lonzo. Instead, I am just going to hand the reins to Lorenzo and sit back and enjoy predominantly because I don't want him uh, to drop a chair shot on me because I have upset him further. Uh, Lorenzo, would you like to talk? about the Steve Wilkes press conference earlier in the week and the reaction that you had to it. All right. First of all, Kendo sticks in standby. Uh, I've multiple, I'm willing to wield them and swing them with all my might. I, I, and I, I, I know I'm not the only Panther fan who's hurt, disgusted and angry over what I saw just a few days ago in a press conference where, you know, the media, it's the same guys every time. They're out in the media pool. They're asking the same questions. But a question was asked of Steve Wilkes, one that was a very good question. And the way he answered the question, it just, my heart sunk. And I just, I just, I, I just audibly yelled, what? I did. I did. Uh, frightened some people when I did it because I cannot believe that he said what he said. So he was, he was, he started a press conference off by saying, and, and this kills us because we just talked about, hey, Baker Mayfield's back with what he did, drove him the three straight touchdowns, looked really good, especially compared to PJ Walker. And he starts the stinking press conference off with PJ Walker is our starter. Matter of factly, like it's not going to be that big of a deal. And you can hear a pin drop 
in the media room. And media people are loud. They breathe loud. They talk loud. Obviously, I'm one of them. I know what it's like. And, and then the question was asked, in the, and I'm paraphrasing, but that's all right. In the past, uh, you have talked about your distaste for tanking. How does starting P.J. Walker not say that you're tanking? And what does Steve Wilkes say? He could go into this long diatribe about how what he's done in the past about, oh, we're just a, we're about winning. We're taking it, you know, we're winning the day and the Panther way, keep pounding and, and, and all these cliches that he could say, all these things that he could say to, to, to quiet the media down, to quiet the fans down. Well, he did quiet the media down. He said, trust the process. Trust the process. So the process of tanking. We're supposed to trust the process of tanking. I didn't believe for a second. Rob Brown has talked about how he's kind of okay with tanking. I'm not okay with tanking. He just got up there and told everybody, by the way, Baker looked good. Let's go back to the four-string quarterback who threw two interceptions and completed only one other pass. This is ridiculous. I would tell Panther fans to not come to the stadium, but they're not coming to the stadium. It's like, there's like 25 guys still coming. We'll get rid of those 25. I just I don't I don't get it. I, I I don't get what is the advantage to this, and why sit up there and and man, don't say you don't like tanking when you're just about to tank. I need I need to take a drink or something. I was gonna say, all right, take a deep breath. Yes. You got this. Uh, <laughs> all right, so I've said a number of times that the L to the Falcons pretty much engaged the tank. But we go into the game against Cincinnati last Sunday, and we're in a spot where we are technically a game and a half back of Atlanta, right? We could tie. They got the ha- they got the heads-up tiebreaker because they beat us. But we also knew that effectively, uh, what, 12 days later, we were going to face them again on a Thursday night. In Charlotte, the all-black unis, which we're going to talk about in a minute because they are, and I know I'm 37 and too old to use this word, but I'm going to anyway, dope as it gets. We knew we had another square up. Banging or, or, I don't know. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. They're good-looking unis. And we're going to talk about those in a minute. But before we get there, let's finish this thought. Yet a game against the Cincinnati Bengals on the road. I said last week in the pod, I really did think that the strengths of this team, running the football and a solid front defense against an overmatched Cincinnati defensive line, matched up pretty well with their weaknesses, which were the weak offensive line for the Cincinnati Bengals and the fact that if you keep Joe Burrow off the field, you got a real good chance of winning the football game. We went into that game against Cincinnati, which we broke down earlier in the week on the pod, and we did not do the things that we are best at doing. We did not run the ball. When we did run the ball, we didn't run the ball well. Uh, P.J. Walker, as Lonzo pointed out, threw 10 passes. Three of them were complete. Two of them were picked off. And it was a grand total of nine yards. We brought in Baker. And now all of a sudden, sans Matt Rule, Bape was able to sling it around a little bit, picked up 21 points worth of touchdowns. Unfortunately, down 35 at the half. It was too little, too late at that point. But. You win that game. You do the things you need to do when you win that football game. And you are now square with the Falcons who lost to the Chargers 
the same day. On some fluky stuff, by the way. The end of that game was wild. If you did not watch it, go back and watch it. Uh, The misfortune of Atlanta is always hilarity to me. But you win that game, and you find yourself tied with Atlanta in the overall record and a half game back with the chance to get them back five days later on a Thursday night in the bank. Momentum on your side if you beat Cincinnati. Everything goes your direction. But we did not beat Cincinnati. We didn't just not beat Cincinnati. We got hammered by the Bengals in that game in a 42-21 game that wasn't particularly as close as the scoreboard made it indicate. And at that point, now effectively, uh, a game and a half behind Atlanta, a win over the Falcons on Thursday, frankly, doesn't matter. They still hold the heads-up advantage. And despite the fact that we have the easier schedule between now and the end of the year, you've also got Tampa out there. And it would appear after this past weekend, despite an ugly game by the Buccaneers, Tom Brady drove that team into the teeth of a relatively good L.A. Ram defense and beat them. I'm not saying Tampa's back, Brady's back, but he looked like the Tom Brady we expected preseason, and they finished a game that earlier in the year they otherwise probably would not have finished. There's some momentum in Tampa. So we now find ourselves tied with New Orleans in the bottom of a bad division and still unable to put ourselves at the top of it. The tank is engaged. But what Lonzo's upset about, and rightfully so, is that Steve Wilkes got straight up asked to his face, as Lonzo pointed out, what do you say to people who claim this is a tank move? And his answer was, trust the process and trust my decision-making. Now, if Bill Belichick, in the middle of a run with Tom Brady, says that, I'm good with it, right? If any number of coaches say that, right in the middle of a good run. I'm good with it. You're right. You see eyes on practice every day. You're the guy that knows these guys better than anybody else. I will trust the decision-making process of the head coach about what he decides to do personnel-wise. But where you lose me is when you sent out a quarterback who completed three out of ten, he put two of those ten into the arms of another team, And he combined for a total of nine passing yards. And you're going to tell me that that guy deserves the start more so than the guy who came in and cleaned up duty and threw three touchdowns against the same team. I'm not a mathematician. Uh, I'm not a brain surgeon. I'm not a rocket scientist. I did not say in a Holiday Express last night. But three touchdowns versus three of ten plus two picks for nine yards seems relatively easy. I am not as upset about this by Lonzo or as Lonzo is. Because I accepted tanking two weeks ago, right? I, I, I put the writing was on the wall for me the minute the final whistle blew in Atlanta and they knocked us off. I, I the, the writing was on the wall. We're a tank job now. I have already accepted that. But I get where Lonzo's coming from, I think, and clear, uh, clarify if I'm wrong here, though. You still want to have a little bit of pride about yourselves. I, again, I've, I've left that behind me. I've accepted it. I'm good with it. To go with the guy who completed three passes, two of his other seven went into the hands of another player and they were worth nine total yards, uh, is a tank job and there's nothing else to it. And in saying it the way he said it, it, even though he legally, well, not legally, but, but, but by the rules of the National Football League, cannot come out and say, yeah, we suck and we're tanking, I think Lonzo's just upset about the fact that 
it's pretty damn blatantly honest what's happening here. And they're not just owning it for what it is. See, the problem is the message just suddenly changed. It said I, every day, every time he was up at the podium, he had a positivity about him to the point where you thought that he really is trying to win. Well, that's gone. It's just suddenly gone. Yeah, Cincinnati put up some points on the Panthers. And maybe part of this is he was a defensive coordinator. He's now the interim head coach. And that defense said, nah, not today. The defense just decided to not show up. And I'm, and we, we went over that a bunch already. But the defense didn't show up. And maybe he went, you know what? If you guys ain't going to try, I ain't going to try. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe maybe part of him died that day against the Bengals, and he decided that that's it, I'm done. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe he got a directive from somewhere, which is more than likely what happened, and was told not to try. I, I can't handle it when people don't try. And then they put it up there, I'm not going to try. And if you can make the media room shut up to where they have no more questions, you have stunned people who ask questions for a living. No one could believe that he said that. I, I just, uh, it's, it's still, I still am in awe of how shocked I actually was. <laughs> I can tell you from sharing an office with Lonzo at the radio station, which we affectionately refer, refer to as the Fortress of Nerditude, uh, Lonzo was as heated as I have seen Lonzo in a minute and a half he was upset about it and this is this is why i've been saying like i said this is why i've been saying for two two weeks now embrace the tank it is what we are you don't have to like that's what we are but it is what we are now beating atlanta yeah there's some pride in beating your divisional rival but it does nothing other than give us that little boast of pride right like uh Beating New Orleans, great win. Felt good at home. I was at that game. Felt good to get the win over New Orleans. But it is, it's accomplished nothing for us other than the ability to look at Saints fans and go, ha, gotcha, even when we suck, we're better than you. And, and sure, that's, that's all fun and well and good. But, and this is going to lead to what we're going to talk about in the next segment because I've got a bit of a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lovingly refer to it as a conspiracy theory that I've laid out to Lonzo. I'm going to lay it out to you guys and let you react and, and tell me what you think about it by tweeting us at the Rob Brown show or at Lonzo on word. I've got a bit of a conspiracy theory. That's got a couple of moving parts to it. All of which revolve back around to we're in a bad spot. We are in a spot where we're going to tank. And there's another reason on top of that, that PJ Walker is going to start this game coming up on Thursday. So when we come back in a minute, we're going to talk about that. And then we'll get into the X's and O's of Carolina versus Atlanta. I was on the Atlanta podcast earlier on Wednesday, the Peachtree Football Podcast, which is also available on the Odyssey Network. And they asked me, you know, what do we expect to see out of the offense? And my answer was, huh? Huh? I guess we'll see. And I'll tell you why that was my answer coming up here in just a couple of minutes. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Views from Mint Street Podcast rolls on. If this is the first time that you have joined us here on the pod, do us a favor. Make sure that you are subscribed to and downloading every episode of the Views from Mint Street Podcast wherever major podcasts are found on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Apple iTunes, or for free on the on the Odyssey app. And do us a bigger favor. If you like the pod, Share it with your friends. Put it out there in your social circle. Make sure that your friends and family that are Cats fans have the opportunity to jump in to this little community we're building as well. Now, I mentioned at the end of the last break that I have a a, a bit of a conspiracy theory going on here. And I've laid it out for Lonzo. I'll lay it down on the pod here. And then I want Lonzo's thoughts for you guys to hear. And then I'll, I, I want you guys to react to us on social media as well. Drop me an email, rob.brown at thefanupstate.com. You can also tweet either one of us at the Rob Brown Show or at Lonzo Onward. Here's my conspiracy theory. It's got a couple of moving parts. PJ Walker is starting on Thursday night for a couple of reasons. Number one, the tank. We know the tank is on. Number two, Baker Mayfield. We know that if he hits a certain percentage of snaps played for this offense this season, then the draft pick that we sent to the Cleveland Browns as part of the package to bring him to Carolina goes up a route, right? It jumps up a route. Uh, the decision feels like it's already been made, right, wrong, or indifferent. And to be honest with you, I want to see more of what Baker's got, which is why I personally would be starting him uh, coming up on Thursday night. Baker's already said, I'd like to be in Charlotte long-term, but we got to get through this season before we can get there. Uh, I want to see more Baker, what Baker can do, but it feels like the decision might've already been made. And I get that part of it is because Matt rule brought in Baker, right? Matt rule had autonomy to bring in the guy he wanted. He wanted Baker. They brought in Baker. He is, whether he likes it or not going to be considered by a lot of people, a Matt rule guy. So by playing Baker enough snaps, you elevate the pick that you sent over to the Cleveland Browns, which means that Baker becomes more expensive simply by playing in a losing season that ultimately is going to go down as irrelevant in our history, except for whoever we get in the draft, wherever we get them in the draft next year. The second thing that leads me to believe that we have talked quite extensively about the fact that this is an on-field audition for Steve Wilkes. Unless Steve Wilkes just doesn't want the job, right? Which I can't imagine he doesn't want the job. If Steve Wilkes doesn't want the job, then it makes perfect sense that he would be tanking the season. But if Steve Wilkes does want the job and he is trying to convince Fitterer and Tepper that he's the man for the job, he, of course, would play the best quarterback he's got available. And let's all be honest with each other. That's not P.J. Walker, which means that there has got to be a reason that Steve Wilkes is willing to go with P.J. Walker instead of Baker Mayfield. Now, if he's trying to get a job, the only reason I can come up, I'm not saying this is the only reason, but it's the only reason I can come up with. The only reason I can come up with that Steve Wilkes would be willing to play P.J. Walker over Baker Mayfield and writing on the wall, if P.J. stinks it up again like he did against Cincinnati, it will be Sam Darnold that enters the game, 
not Baker Mayfield. That's just a hunch. We'll see if it plays out. Uh, But the only reason he would go with PJ, and then hypothetically, like I said, in my opinion, though, we will find out, he would go with Sam Darnold as the backup and give him a crack is because he's been wink, wink, nudge, nudged into believing that he's already the front runner for the job. Hey, you've been here. You've seen what doesn't work. You've kind of started to hit on what did work. You had a pretty good run of a couple of weeks there. You are the front runner for the job, and you are going to get a very hefty, if not final say, in who we pick with our first round draft pick at the number two or three or whatever spot we end up with spot in that draft. If Wilkes already believes he's the front runner and he's got to say then it would behoove him greatly to try to improve that position the best he can, which of course means losing. And what's an easy way for Steve Wilkes to lose right now without looking like to without looking to the NFL like he's doing it on purpose, but to go, hey, the guy we have started the last three weeks, we're going to give another shot at. And if he gets run, you go to Sam Darnold, a guy who was activated less than a week before the game, less than a work week before the game. If Sam Darnold comes in and stinks it up, you can give him another start the next week and go, okay, now he's got another week under his belt. He's knocked off the ring rust. Now we're going to give him a true test to see what he can really do. And he goes and stinks it up again. Now you're talking about two justifiable losses on the record and an opportunity to stay in that number two spot. I understand that my tinfoil hat might be tightening around my brain a little nuts and restricting the bud flow. But, Zoe, that makes perfect sense to me as to why PJ would be the guy, as to why I think that Sam will be the number two. And if we see Baker Mayfield down the lot again, it'll only be because the guys ahead of him got injured because we don't want to cost ourselves another round worth of draft pick. And we don't want to come off money for Baker Mayfield as well. All right. So I, 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 I get the theory because this is the second time I've heard it. And it, it, Makes even more sense the second time, except for I think it has some holes in it. So if that's the case, and it might very well be, why would you bring Baker in last week? Unless you wanted to bring Baker in because you thought he would look bad, and then, oh, no, that's a touchdown. Yeah, but he won't do that again. Oh, no, that's another touchdown. Oh, no, that's three touchdowns. We can't be having that. And, and the other thing is, if you were so worried about that draft pick after the, the rough start that Baker had, why didn't you bench him earlier? I just – there's a lot of things, and maybe this is an ongoing thing. It's fluid, and it changed as week to week happened. The fact that they brought him in last week, that's the part that doesn't make any sense. What Did he, did he have, have like a quarter and a half left that they were allowed to play him, so they brought him in the quarter and a half? I mean, why bring him in? If you don't bring him at all, then I get all that. But you brought him in last week. And why is everyone shocked that P.J. starting? Because you brought him in and he scored three straight touchdowns. So my theory on that's going to go. And again, it's speculation. The vast majority of people right now are speculating because the Panthers ain't saying nothing about it. My speculation is this. You bring Baker in in a spot where you're down 35 nothing. Baker comes in. You're probably not expecting him, returning from a foot injury, an ankle injury, probably not expecting him to come in and light it up, right? And if Baker comes in and he stinks the joint up, you've got a reason to bench him down the line. But he comes in, 
And he lights the Bengals up in the second half. Now, again, part of the argument for starting PJ is going to be, yeah, Baker came in and he threw three touchdowns and he made a good run at it, but he did it when the game is out of hand and the Bengals weren't bringing as much pressure. The Bengals weren't running as many starters for as many plays, yada, 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 all of which is fair and all of which is uh, correct and a good argument. But you bring the guy in expecting him to maybe not have that much success and now you can justifiably rotate through quarterbacks the rest of the year, which means nobody's able to get comfortable. Nobody's able to develop a rhythm or a routine. Nobody's able to really settle in as QB1. Everybody is looking over their shoulder. Uh-oh, if I stink the, the field, you know, next week Sam's going to come in, and then the next week PJ, and then we're back to Baker. They didn't expect him to come in and light up the scoreboard. They didn't expect him to come in and grab him a couple of honey and uh, three touchdowns on the way out the door. They expected him to come in and do what he had been doing before Matt Rule left, which is not playing good football, right? So he comes in and he does that. And now you've lost your rationale for rotating quarterbacks, right? Like this is why we're upset. If Baker would have come in and stunk up the joint and Baker would have come in and thrown two picks, scored no touchdowns, ended up with a buck 20 on the air, then yeah, we'd have been going, all right, well, I mean, it really doesn't matter who you start. Or we'd all be clamoring for Sam Darnold. But because Baker lit it up, now it seems a little insane that PJ would get the nod over Baker Mayfield, but they had to come up with a reason to do that, to protect the draft pick, to keep money out of Baker's pocket and keep it in the franchise, and to justify rotating quarterbacks to pick up a couple of L's. Again, I know it's a conspiracy theory. I know there's a lot of moving parts to it, but I am trying to make sense of an otherwise incomprehensible decision for any reason other than we tanking, yo, we tanking. You know what? It, something else it could be. It could be a loyalty thing. It absolutely could be a loyalty thing that, that Wilkes, uh, is bonded with PJ Walker and he wants him to do well. So he wants to put him back in there to prove that last week was just a fluke and he needed a little bit of a, he got in over his head. He's a young quarterback needed to be relieved a little bit. And he's going to get back on the horse and he's going to do a good job this week. It could be that uh, going back to the conspiracy part of it though, if Wilkes put Baker in so he would fail, I, I, I don't see how he could do that because he spent time with Baker and Cleveland. And if I'm not mistaken, he was there when Baker was really good. So he knows what he's capable of. And if a, a capable quarterback who's not over the hill, which Baker is not, if he gets if he gets in that rhythm and gets back to where he was, he's proven to be a winner. So maybe it's just that Wilkes is very loyal to P.J. Walker and what he's been able to help him kind of do since he took over as interim coach? Uh, I would say maybe, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the, the, the rationale with the reasoning, with the base of that loyalty would be right. That he has for PJ over anybody else. That, that makes sense, right? It makes sense that maybe he's just Walker a good was, dude. Maybe he's just a good dude. You maybe. know, you hit it off with someone and you're like, I want, I want this kid to do well. Maybe, but he's fired, what, four coaches in two weeks? You know, like I, I would I would think if that was the case, unless those guys just ticked him off, but it doesn't seem that's the case. I mean, may, maybe, you're right. Maybe P.J. Walker just, or maybe uh, Steve Walsh just likes P.J. Walker. But 
PJ ain't on this team for any other reason than he was a Matt Rule guy. He was OOU. And again, it, it's it's a theory, sure. But to me, it would make more sense that Steve Wilkes believes, accurate or not, that he's the front runner for the job down the line. He's going to have a say in the draft pick. And if I tell you that you have the final word on what that draft pick is going to be next year. You want the best draft pick you can get. You want to give yourself as much availability of players, the biggest pool of players to select from as you can to ensure that you get the one that you want to get. And if Wilkes knows the job is his, or at least firmly believes that the job is his next year, then all of a sudden tanking makes more sense than if Steve Wilkes believes, right? Because he said, trust the process, trust, quote, my decision-making, end quote, right? He didn't say it was a team decision, it was a coaching staff decision, it was a franchise decision. He said, trust my decision-making. And as a wordplay guy, I, I, I find great value in the in the words people use, the way they use them, the order they use them, the context they use them. As a words guy, for him to specifically say, trust my decision-making, that means it was a Steve Wilkes decision for PJ to play and Baker to be benched. The outcome of that most likely is a bad performance by the offense and an Atlanta win. An Atlanta win, of course, maintains our solid hold on the number two draft spot and increases the pool of available players for Steve Wilkes. I'm not saying you have to like it, Lonzo. I'm not saying you have to agree with it. I'm just saying that even if you don't like it, it makes sense. Yeah, but the other problem I have with that is the players that if, if you if you uh, are looking at your nucleus and we've talked about how much the the guys that they really love on defense, do you want to make those guys mad by going, okay, why are we not trying to win? Why did you do it? If people on your own team, and we don't know that they are, but if people on your own team are questioning why you're doing this and questioning your reason, uh, your, your, your want to win, and maybe they're all in on it. Maybe they all know. But I don't think 53 guys are going to go, okay, I won't say anything. There's the, Social media is too much fun and too easy and too accessible for someone to not say, I can't believe Coach is doing this. Uh, so I think whatever he's doing, it's between him and management, or maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, Steve Wilkes is not an idiot, right? And even if Steve Wilkes was an idiot, uh, I think for the most part, even an idiot would recognize that Baker outperformed P.J. Walker last week, right? Like you could have never watched a football game in your life and recognize that was the case. What you said there at the end, which is, you know, this is between him and management. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's possible. And in my opinion, potentially even probable that Scott Fitterer and Tep went, hey, look, dude, here's the, here's the thing. You got us through this year. You get us through this year. And you got the leg up on the position next year. And if you are the coach, much like with Matt Rule, you have the autonomy to make the decision about who we pick. That would be a thing that's finger guns between uh, Steve Wilkes, Scott Fitter, David Tepper, <laughs> management, ownership, whatever you want to call it. It would make sense for this to be his decision. I ain't buying it.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are inside of a day and a half away from the kickoff of Thursday Night Football live on Amazon Prime as your Carolina Panthers host the dreaded, evil, hated, no good Atlanta Dirty Birds in the bank Thursday evening just after 8 p.m. And I am pretty intrigued uh, by this game, partially for the reasons that we've been talking about on the pod so far. Feels like the tank is on. Feel like uh, Tank Commander P.J. Walker, 1st Carolina Regiment, is in the house, right? But I'm also intrigued to see what the response is going to be, Lonzo, what the response is going to be from the guys on the field, specifically on the defense, uh, after getting absolutely dog-walked by the Bengals last Sunday, right? Uh, because while the tank may very well be on, and I believe that it is, I still absolutely think that the guys who put on the helmets on Sundays, or in this case, Thursdays, the guys who strap up the shoulder pads, who lace up the boots, et cetera, et cetera, uh, they got some pride about themselves and their work. And on top of that, not all of them are going to be Carolina Panthers next year. Some of these guys are trying to earn themselves more money down the line in the future. And of course, performance is the number one way to do that, right? So I'm curious to see, though, what the response is specifically on the defensive side of the ball from a group of Panthers players who got every inch of their own rear ends handed to them on a platter by the Bengals last Sunday. Is there a bounce back? Does the defensive line get after Marcus Mariota, slow him down? Uh, does the defensive backfield take away a set of wide receivers that have been okay, okay at best for Atlanta so far this year? Do we respond specifically on the defensive side of the uh, football and try to make something happen? Or if the tank is for sure engaged, does that mentality infect, impact, whatever, deter, influence everybody on the field, and we just kind of come out and sleepwalk our way through the next nine weeks of football? All right, so here's a major problem. I know how this is going to sound, but if you look good, you feel good. I, I know you've heard that. I've heard that. We've all heard that. If you look good, you feel good. They are breaking out the sweetest uniforms that I've ever seen a Panther wear with the All Blacks. They're breaking that out Thursday night in prime time, on prime, dressed like that. I don't see those guys coming out and doing what they did against Cincinnati. I really think they're going to come out and play uh, back to where they were before. But you don't want to embarrass your team with the kind of performance that you embarrass them with, even if the coaches are trying to make you lose, coming out looking like they're going to look like on Thursday night. I just I, – you can't do – I've seen you dressed up. You've seen me dressed up. You know how that feels? You come out, you look good, you find that little extra something that maybe you've been missing for a while. Can a uniform uh, spur some some guys to play better? Absolutely, I think it can. I really think it can. These uniforms are sweet, and I know how shallow it sounds. I think the defense plays better. I think everyone plays better tomorrow 
despite the process, because of those sweet uniforms. The helmets, man, the helmets alone are wicked. We, uh, we've talked about this on our show a couple of times so far this week. I love the all-black look. I, I think any, any team anywhere, all-black is the best look in sports. It's intimidating. It's sleek. It makes you look fast. It's the best look in sports. And I do subscribe to the look good, feel good, feel good, play good, play good, win good philosophy, right? Power suits are power suits for a reason. There's a reason why every man in America has been told at some point, go get you a well-put-together and well-tailored, custom-tailored suit. Because you throw on a suit, you walk outside, people notice, you feel good, you feel good, you're more confident, you're more confident, you're more likely to go take what you want instead of taking what's given to you. There's a reason. Every woman out there has at some point had that little black dress because it's a head-turner, ladies. And you know when you walk in a bar and you get them heads following you across the room, you feel good. When you feel good, you're confident. When you're confident, you get what you want, right? It's a good look. Be all black with the blue trim. It's a great look. I'm excited to see him. In fact, I am. Uh, I, I think I very well may drive up on Thursday from Greenville to Charlotte to watch this game in person. Uh, I like the look. The next jersey I buy will probably be this version uh, of the black because it's a really good look. That being said, you still got to know what you're doing. I can put on the best-looking suit in the world, ladies and gentlemen, and walk into the boardroom of a, uh, of a Fortune 500 company and say, I'm the CEO now, but if I don't know how to do CEO things, that business is going to fail. And it's going to fail while I look good sitting in that big chair, but it's going to fail nonetheless. We got to know what we're doing. We got to execute. We got to play better. Um, so how do the X's and O's shape up here? The good news is we saw these cats 11 days ago, right? Not this past Sunday, but the Sunday after that, 10 days ago, whatever it was. We saw these cats already, and we had them. We had them. DJ's helmet stays on, or Eddie Panero hits one of two field goals. We win that football game. Not only do we win that football game, last week against Cincinnati, we're going into that game first place in the NFC South. And even if we still lose to Cincinnati, we're sitting right now tied with the Buccaneers for the top of the division, but we're not. We're multiple games back now, right? So how do we match up X's and O's wise with the Atlanta Falcons? The good news is they look like an okay offensive line. It's good and a great. Our defensive line on paper is better than theirs. And if you go look at Marcus Mariota, right? I earlier in the year felt like I needed to ship an uh, edible arrangements to Marcus Mariota as an apology for all the things that I had to say about Marcus Mariota before the season starts. But if you really take a minute and you go look at this, at the performance of this quarterback, it's pretty average, right? It's pretty average. He's been carried like a lot of other guys have. It's been relatively average uh, so far. We should be able to, to get after Marcus Mariota with Derek Brown, with Brian Burns, with Gross Manos. Honestly, I would almost like to see us, Lonzo, uh, predominantly run a three-man front, right? Just give me those three. Give me DB, give me Brian Burns, give me Gross Manos, give me a rotation of ends on the outside. Give me guys whose job is to contain and an extra linebacker to keep an eye on, Mar on Marcus Mariota to keep him from breaking out. The second thing is their leading rusher on the year right now. Leading rusher is Tyler Algeyer. 
He is averaging 4.5 yards per carry and route to 423 yards on the ground and a single touchdown. Now, uh, Corderell Patterson had himself a day this past weekend. He almost beat the Superchargers by himself. He has found himself a little bit, and that is a problem for us because when Patterson's on, that's a tough team to stop. But give me the extra linebacker. I know that we don't do that traditionally. Give me the extra linebacker. Let's limit the playmaker in Patterson. Make Mariota beat us by himself. And now, with the defensive backfield mostly healed up with the loss of Jeremy Chim excluded, give me a set to keep the quarterback in contain, to limit Patterson, and defensively, we honestly should be just fine. You know what they say, it's hard to beat a team twice. So Atlanta's already beat Carolina, or Carolina beat themselves, depending on which side of the contest you're on. You know how to beat Atlanta. Atlanta hasn't really changed that much. The one, the one way that Carolina could change would be with a different quarterback, but we'll see what happens there uh, once things get going. I've heard a lot of people say, well, P.J. nearly beat Atlanta. No, he got lucky, especially at the end with that pass. Uh, that, that was that was a, a lucky pass, and a great receiver caught that lucky pass. You could do better than that. You could absolutely do better than that. And uh, I, even if you put Sam Darnold in there, you can do better than that. I do believe that the defense that that was that was a one off. That is the worst game they played all season. They've had like bad series, maybe a bad quarter here or there, but they've never this entire year played as bad as they did. Now, did they get some news that the coach got about the tanking thing and decided, okay, we just won't play? I don't believe that. I believe they had a bad day. They got behind early, and Joe Burrow found himself, even though Cincinnati was not playing that great this year, he found himself. And Mixon went off. That was it was it was monumental what he was able to do. Uh there's no Joe Burrow on Atlanta. There's no Mixon on Atlanta. Uh there's there's a lot of players on Atlanta that probably couldn't play for Cincinnati. Carolina nearly beat them the last time. A chin strap away from beating them the last time. A chin got, strap away. They got a By the good, strap on his chinny chin chin, says it's, Lonzo. It's exactly what happened, and we know that. Uh, I, I, You know, Wilkes has asked, do you play them any different? Why would you play them any different? The only thing you've got to do to beat Atlanta is execute better on offense. We'll see what happens. Can you run the ball more? Will you actually complete some more passes? I don't know. I do believe that the defense is going to play much better than what they did last week. Marcus Mariota, Marcus Mariota last weekend, 12 of 23 for a buck 29, and he ran for 24 on five passes. That's what he – or on five runs, excuse me. That's what he did against the Chargers. The only real big difference he had against us is he popped one, right? Like he popped a big run, and that kind of – when a quarterback pops a big run like that, we saw Lamar Jackson do it. Monday night against New Orleans. When a quarterback gets on a roll like that, he's able to run the ball, changes the way that you attack on defense. Actually, it limits the way because you can't really attack at that point. you got to kind of respond and react instead of be proactive. The problem is that with Cordero Patterson back, they are more dangerous. And the fact that he opened things up, they're more dangerous. Uh, offensively, they have a lot more options than we did 
the last time we played them, which is why I absolutely agree with Lonzo. Uh, execute, number one, right? Like, like, get out there, do your job, play your assignment, and don't let the playmakers beat you. Make everybody else beat you. And I'm include Mar- including Marcus Mariota in that. Offensively, uh, you know, it's it's one of this in this job. Our job is to to analyze. It's the deep dive. It's to be able to point out X's and O's and numbers and stats that uh, somebody who really only gets an opportunity to watch on Sundays might otherwise miss. Um, this one is going to stun some people. I did the real deep dive, uh, Lonzo, and the, the 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 best thing that we can do uh, in this game. It's a very intricate game plan that I've put together here. Uh, give Dante Foreman the ball more and let him run more. That's it. I mean, it's run the ball. It's keep. Corderell Patterson off the field. Uh, it's bring the defense up, make them play on us. They have gotten healthier across the defensive backfield. They were they were playing like a practice squad last time we played them. They got a couple of guys back, but you still need to run the football. They know PJ Walker's not a threat. They are not afraid of PJ Walker. Nobody should be afraid of PJ Walker after what PJ Walker did this past week. Run the ball at them. It's going to be tough sledding, by the way. Because when P.J. Walker's not a threat, they are going to bring extra guys in the box. Still got to run the ball. Go get that 3.4, 3.5 yards per run. Go get a bunch of third and short conversions. Keep Corderell Patterson off the field. That's the easiest way to make this happen. If we go pass happy, right? I don't need P.J. throwing the ball 25, 30 times. I need him throwing the ball 15 times. Go look at Marcus Mariota. With the exception of last week, in which they lost... By the way, if you go look at the majority of the games that Atlanta's won, Marcus Mariota throws the ball 15, 16, 17 times. That's it. They don't want him to. They go run with Allgaier. They're going to run with Patterson. Every now and then they're going to pop one with Mariota. We have to do the same thing. Run with Foreman. If Chuba Hubbard is back, which we, I believe we're all kind of waiting and hoping that he is, you utilize him, Make some, but use Blackshear to kind of open the offense up a little bit. Use those guys to keep defenses honest and then let P.J. throw it 15, 16, 17 times a game and make sure that D.J. Moore is target number one on every one of those passes. That's what you got to do. All right, so I know I started this off by saying how awesome it's going to be for the new uniforms and everything. I'm not sure it's enough. Uh, I do think they're going to play play better. If P.J. Walker plays the entire game, Atlanta wins the game. If either Sam or Baker comes in, Carolina wins the game. So I can't I can't really pick who wins because it's going to be it, – it depends on what the coach decides to do with the quarterback position. I was on the pod with the Peachtree football dudes, which is the Falcons version of this show – also available on the Odyssey Network. If you want to go grab their pod, you're welcome to. Um, I was on with them. And the last question they gave me when we signed off, Alonzo, was, what do you expect to see out of the Panther offense? Are you going to go run heavy? Will you see them open up the offense and try to throw the ball a little bit, whether it's with PJ or Baker or Sam or whoever? My honest, my honest answer was, I got no clue. I really don't, right? A team that makes the decision to start PGA over Baker, I got no clue what the next move is. If you're trying to lose games, letting PJ throw it 35, 40 times would be a great way to do that, right? Be a great way to do that. So if that's the case, expect PJ to have an average day trying to throw it 35 times. If they are genuinely, honestly going to try to win this football game, 
then yeah, I expect him to run the heck out of the football with Foreman, with Chuba Hubbard if he's back. But which one of those two mentalities are we going to take into this game Thursday night? The honest answer for one Rob Brown is, I got no bleeping idea to tell you the truth. And we will find out coming up on Thursday. Lonzo, any final words for the people? I don't know how to trust the process. Maybe someone can teach me. Trust the process. Trust my decision-making. Ladies and gentlemen, the process for us is going to be to drop you another episode coming up on Friday, obviously, because we have ourselves a Thursday night primetime game. Friday's pod will be taking a look back at the game on Thursday evening. So make sure you pick that up for a full breakdown. And obviously, we'll start turning our attention ahead with whatever mentality this team decides to take onto the field Thursday night. Then next Monday, we'll be back with the next pod. And that Monday and Wednesday will basically serve as us just kind of evaluating the state of the Panthers if you will. So make sure you're here on Friday. If you haven't done it already, wherever you get your podcast, like and subscribe to the Views from Mint Street podcast so you don't miss an episode. Lorenzo Wright, Sell, and I will be back on Friday with the next episode. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you then. Keep pounding, baby!